Welcome to the Week 1 What We Saw podcast here at QB List. I am Eric Smith, the editor-in-chief at QB List, and I'm joined by Ryan Heath. Ryan, like, you know, this is supposed to be a fantasy football podcast, but I think we're just going to complain about our favorite teams here. So um, I'll start off with you, Ryan. What did you think of that Patriots game today? Um, Honestly, it doesn't hurt that much just because it's kind of exactly what I expected. Like, very little surprised me. Like, our first drive was great. Um, then Devonte Parker, uh, wasn't able to reel it in, in the end zone because the refs missed a DPI call. Uh, and it was just kind of all downhill from there. I just, I've said this before, but the fact that Joe judge and Matt Patricia are allowed anywhere near Mac Jones and the Patriots offense after their histories is just appalling to me. Like I, yeah, I don't even, I don't want to get too much into it, but it just was not good. Yeah. Uh, on a scale of one to 10, how was the play calling? Where were you grading it this week? Eh, like a three. It, they're okay. just, yeah, it really was kind of a similar story to last year. Like there just wasn't a whole lot of separation with the receivers. Um, Mac was not protected whatsoever. It was a really bad turnover. Um, the, the, in the red zone, I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, the one touchdown we scored was Ty Montgomery in the flat. Uh, and that was right after we tried throwing it to Damian Harris in the flat on first and second down. We just did the same thing three times in a row. It somehow happened to work. But that I think that is indicative of the Patriots offense right now. Yeah, leading receiver, uh, Jacoby Myers, four for 55 on six targets. Doesn't sound like much has changed since last year. So, um, yeah, I think Jacoby Myers will get us those 10 points every week, but not a whole lot else in the passing game if uh, Hunter Henry doesn't score a touchdown. So, all right. Well, yeah, Patriots lose 20 to 7. Um, I watched a game that it feels like everybody in our Discord channel is watching. That was the Cincinnati Bengals against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Bengals lose in overtime after they could have won multiple times. They could have lost multiple times. They could have tied. Uh, really just an exhausting game to watch. Honestly, it's like, is this team going to play like they did all of last year? Because if they did, I don't know if I can take this for 17 games, right? So um, I, I'm spent. It's week one. I'm exhausted. And my thoughts, I, I tweeted this out. It's like I, the Bengals turned it over five times. They lost T. Higgins to a concussion. Uh, their, ba- their long snapper got hurt, and their backup long snapper clearly cost them the win with the extra point that was blocked and a, a missed field goal in overtime. Like, I don't know how to feel because that's like the game – like the disaster game. You can't imagine it going worse than that. And they still probably should have beat the Steelers. So I don't know. The offensive line is a mess. Burrow was getting wrecked. I do think they kind of figured it out later on and uh, they hadn't played much in the preseason. So it was kind of like a trial by fire here. Uh, 53 dropbacks, I think for Burrow, actually uh, 60, if you count the sacks. So yeah, 60 dropbacks. Uh, the offensive line did get a little better in the second half. So hopefully this worked out the rust here, but um, yeah, Burrow was under siege again. We got to keep him healthy. So I don't know, Ryan, if you got any thoughts on that game before we get out of here, but um, yeah, it, I don't know if it was exhausting for the rest of the world as it was for me, but I, I need about a three hour nap now. It was even for me, it was pretty exhausting. Like there were multiple points where I was just yelling at my television. I'm, I'm not like a yeller at all when I am watching football, but I just screaming, when Jamar Chase just barely doesn't stay in the end zone, like the all obviously all of the missed kicks, like it just, yeah, yeah it it was it was honestly I was probably more into that game than the Patriots game by that point because it it was more exciting obviously and it was just way way more emotionally taxing I thought. 
Yeah. Yeah, and just my brief takeaways. I mean, it, it was it was a good game pretty much for most of your fantasy players on the Bengals other than Higgins, but Jamar's great. Joe Mixon had seven catches. That was awesome. Even Hayden Hurst had five for 46. So uh, pretty happy if you started anyone on the Bengals. The Steelers offense looks bad to me. It was a lot of trick plays, uh, misdirection. That's only going to last you so long. So um, Najee Harris gets hurt. At least he gets a touchdown for his managers. We'll see how serious that is. Kind of shocked to see that Deontay Johnson had 12 targets. Didn't realize it during the game. But yeah, I I would not have much uh, hope for this Steelers offense. And if they can barely hang on for a win where they they win the turnover battle 5-0, to zero, I they, we knew this is what this team was going to be like. So they're going to grind out wins with their defense, but the offense did not show much. So, all right. This is going to be our weekly What We Saw podcast. Um, we have our What We Saw article up on the website. Obviously, we have a staff member watching each of these games, so please read the article. We're not going to be able to cover it all here. Um, there's going to be some really great stuff in there for you. But um, we're going to do this every Sunday night before the Sunday night football game, go through some quick takeaways here, give you a quick podcast to, to listen to Monday morning and have some actionable advice. We're also going to try to hold the waiver wire analysis for our waiver wire show that comes out every Monday night. So um, we're just going to have some fun with this one. Maybe we'll have some guests throughout the year, but um, yeah, we're looking forward to doing this all year long and I'm glad Ryan has joined me for two podcasts a week. So this should be fun. Um, Before we started, I just wanted to read off some quick reminders from 2021 week one, before we all go overreacting to everything here. Uh, Last year in week one, the Steelers also won. They beat the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo, big upset. And then the Saints beat the Packers last year, 38-3. So a couple of scores that looked really weird five weeks later when we looked at how these teams were. Um, We also had Jared Goff and Jameis Winston were top five quarterbacks last year. Uh, Jamal Williams scored 25 points and was a top three back, while Tyson Williams was a top 10 back last year. Uh, Corey Davis was a top five receiver. Sterling Shepard was a top 10 receiver. Jawan Johnson was a top five tight end. Like we just need to remember here, we're going to talk about a lot of ups and downs here from week one, but there's a lot of stuff that happened last year that had no bearing on the rest of the season. So um, when you kind of look at this, Ryan, what do you think just as far as how much people should take away from week one of 2022? Yeah. I mean, I think the, what you can take away is what the roles looked like for certain players if we weren't sure like what the target breakdown was going to be on a particular team or how a backfield was going to be split i think that that is an actionable takeaway i don't think that just the number of fantasy points a player scored is going to be all that actionable for most of these like you'll have these players that will just happen to score two touchdowns and might never score another touchdown the rest of the season like it would not be all that shocking. Uh, Jawan Johnson, I remember that from last year. We we were all hyped for Adam Troutman, and then Jawan Johnson was the Saints' tight end catching touchdowns. So it right. just weird things can happen like that. So I th- there is some stuff I think will stick that we'll talk about, but that you obviously have to take everything with a grain of salt. Yep, for sure. Okay, so our two big segments today are going to be notable performances from week one. And then we are also going to give you a quick Monday night football preview in case you have some flex decisions to deal with here. So that's what we're going to go through here. But let's start out with some of the notable performances from week one. And uh, let's start with Atlanta. Um, Atlanta was frisky today against the Saints. Uh, They lost late when they could not convert a a final field goal, but put up a good fight against the Saints team that a lot of people were picking for the playoffs here. Um, Ryan, what were your takeaways from this Falcons uh, game against New Orleans? 
Yeah, so I, the first thing you have to look at is Cordero Patterson with a, an excellent fantasy for performance, and he was even basically being treated as a bell cow in the backfield. 22 rush attempts, five targets, 136 all-purpose yards, and a touchdown. Like that, What else can you ask for from probably a guy that a lot of zero RB teams were drafting, and he was scoring up there with the top options at the position this week. Um, and what I mean, when you think about it, like, Patterson was very efficient and like a very productive fantasy football player last year uh, before he got injured midway through the year. I don't think it would be all that crazy if we all just kind of forgot about Cordero Patterson and let him fall like completely into like the seventh, eighth, ninth round of drafts when we shouldn't have. Yeah, uh, a couple things from this one. So actually, Damian Williams was kind of out snapping Cordell Patterson early, and he got hurt with a rib injury. We're not sure how serious it is, if it's a couple weeks or not, but Damian Williams was seeing some significant work before. Uh, they had inactivated Tyler Algier, the rookie running back, so he wasn't on the field. So the snap distribution of running back was Cordell Patterson's uh, 49 snaps, Avery Williams 23, and Damian Williams 10. So it uh, really gave Patterson the entire backfield here. I, th I think we did overlook him. I would just warn people uh, not to buy high on him. I, I think if anything, I would sell high only because we did see him kind of run out of steam last year. And I, he is a 31-year-old running back. I don't know. He, if I think it's more of a, if you got him, you got a great deal on him. And I just think you keep riding it. But I wouldn't go out and get Patterson. But um, awesome first, first game here for him. And I, you can plug him in as your RB2 next week. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, he's he's not somebody that I would be trying to acquire or projecting for bell cow workloads the rest of the season. Yeah, I, just to be clear. Yeah. Um, look, Looking also uh, on the Falcons, Marcus Mariota, pretty good fantasy performance. 12 rushing attempts really jumped out at me for 72 yards. I think I... I made a joke earlier like, like a week ago that I would be talking myself into streaming Marcus Mariota at some point this year. It might come a lot sooner than we think based on this. Yeah. I mean, QB nine against the saints, uh, fantasy QB nine, that is pretty awesome. Did not throw a touchdown, but when you rush 12 times for 72 yards and you rush for a touchdown, that's why we chase these rushing quarterbacks. So yeah, I mean, I thought this was going to be a disaster of a performance for this Falcons offense against a good defense. So the fact that he came up with this, yeah, I, I'm definitely intrigued. I wonder if this kind of downgrades some of the pass catchers here just because he's running the ball a lot. But, I mean, we still saw Drake London with five for 74. Pitts had a disappointing day. But, again, it's a tough Saints defense. So, I don't know. Do you, do you worry about the pass catching options with Marietta running so much? Um, I, So, I – don't expect him to average 12 rushing attempts a game or anything. Yeah. So hey, if that regresses to like, even in like seven or eight would still be quite a lot of rushing attempts for Marcus Mariota. Um, okay. But if it goes down to that, I mean, Pitts and London each had seven targets each. Uh, the, the Falcons were leading for a decent chunk of the game. I, I don't think it should be that concerning. Uh, I, I don't, it makes me wonder if London or Pitts have the ceilings that we have talked ourselves into in the off season. Um, but I, I wouldn't be panicking on either of them. Yeah. I mean, 
Falcons gave up 17 points in the fourth quarter, so they had the lead. They ran 38 times for 201 yards, if you include Mariota's work. So run-heavy performance here. We're not going to touch on the Saints a lot, but uh, Jarvis Landry, 7 for 114, just like we drew it up, Ryan. So um, I I think the big story from here is, honestly, I I still don't trust the Saints offense a ton. I know they came back and got the win, but uh, Michael Thomas scoring touchdowns is great. Uh, Concerning performance from Alvin Kamara, but I don't know. I, I think this is one of those divisional games where it got a little ugly, but um, I don't know. I, I, the, the Saints still aren't inspiring a lot of confidence for me. Yeah, I would mostly agree with that. And K- Kamara, as you mentioned, had a disappointing performance. Uh, he only ran, I want to say, nine more routes than Mark Ingram. So th- yeah. this wasn't really the usage that we would be looking for if you drafted Kamara at the end of the first round, start of the second round. Not not going to panic uh, because we've seen Alvin Kamara be awesome and get that type of usage and be running as many routes as his team's receivers. Uh, but it, it is something you have to keep in mind. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the next notable performance. Uh, Christian Kirk, 12 targets. This is how we drew it up, right? I mean, the, the Jaguars just really don't have very many exciting options outside of Christian Kirk. So uh, I think we expect more of this going forward. What do you think about Kirk here? Yeah, I I will go so far as to say that Kirk is the only fantasy option on the Jaguars that I'm all that comfortable with now. It's great that he dominated targets, but when you look elsewhere, I, Zay Jones had a horrible drop. Travis Etienne had a couple of terrible drops. The backfield was very much split between Etienne and James Robinson. Uh, it just... From what we saw in one week, which obviously could change, uh, Trevor Lawrence wasn't inspiring a ton of confidence. I, yeah, I just don't know that this is going to be the breakout offense that maybe some were hoping for. Yeah, I think that's the big concern is if Lawrence doesn't take that leap, we just, I just want to see athletic plays from him, you know, awesome highlights. Like it doesn't have to be a complete performance every week. We just need to see some sparks here. So as far as the backfield, ETN, 36 snaps, James Robinson, 34 snaps. I think we can expect more of that going forward. Hopefully we see more than four targets for ETN. Uh, That's really where we need, um, you know, that to change. So um otherwise yeah i don't think the breakouts here quite yet for this jaguars offense um other side of the ball was uh the washington commanders uh what were your takeaways from this team yeah i mean antonio gibson got the bell cow treatment this week uh, he led the backfield easily in carries he had eight targets that popped off the page at me uh although i will say i was saying the same thing in week one about antonio gibson last year because he, <laughs> he if i remember correctly i i was very encouraged by his receiving usage in the first game then uh but i mean he was out targeting jd mckissick so that that's something right uh we don't yeah we don't know how long this gravy train for gibson is gonna last uh but especially in games where the commanders aren't projected to totally fall out of it uh i think gibson could be a pretty solid fantasy option for the beginning of the year until brian robinson comes back yeah, pretty shocking to see Gibson get the seven for 72 in the air. I mean, with, when McKissick's the one who's hurt or was it on the field and not hurt like uh, Brian Robinson. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he, he definitely outsnapped McKissick. Uh, Gibson got 49 to McKissick's 31. So, yeah, we need to – I mean, I had him as RB19 this week. I felt like I was putting him too high, but I, I think we probably chased the volume correctly there. So, um, otherwise, anything else stand out for Washington? Uh, yeah, I mean, Curtis Samuel leading the team in targets is definitely a surprise. 11 targets only got 55 yards off of them and a touchdown. Um, yep. and also Jahan Dotson was 
uh, alive with two touchdowns this week. So I don't know that Carson Wentz is going to be tossing four touchdowns every single week. So I, I don't think that we should be banking on this type of production from the commander's receiving room, but it may, may be a little concerning for McLaurin that he wasn't just alphaing this offense like he has been the last few years. I, I don't know if that's unfair or ridiculous after one game. It probably is. But with seeing Samuel healthy and dominating target shares like that is definitely interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, McLaurin still gets a 49-yarder and a touchdown, so it's hard to be too upset with it. But, yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting for sure. I think it's super encouraging for Dotson just seeing a rookie out there. I know it's only five targets and three catches, but uh, rookie scoring two touchdowns week one. They obviously trust him. He was on the field. So, um, yeah, kind of encouraging all around for this receiving core. Dotson played just as much as McLaurin, and, and Samuel was pretty close behind, and they they really just used those three receivers. So, yeah, there might be a little bit of upside in this passing game. We'll see. But yeah, I would not expect uh, Wentz four touchdowns every week. This was against Jacksonville. So that may be part of it. All right, let's get to probably one of our favorite teams of the offseason. That's the Philadelphia Eagles. This was a fun one. The shootout we all wanted between the Eagles and the Lions. So what were your takeaways in Philadelphia? So the biggest takeaway is that A.J. Brown is maybe the biggest alpha receiver in the NFL. Uh, 13 targets caught 10 of them for 155 yards and he relegated basically every other option in the Eagles passing game to a peripheral role. Devonte Smith, only four targets. That was a three-way tie with Dallas Goddard and Kenny Gainwell for second on the team. So when AJ Brown is out there, just completely dominating Jalen hurts is only looking to him. Uh, I mean, it's great if you drafted A.J. Brown in the third round, like we've been talking about all offseason. Uh, but I, you know, I, I will go out there on the ledge with this game specifically. I think that this is what we're going to see from the Eagles. I, I think that it's basically confirmed that A.J. Brown is just going to be awesome. And yeah. the other options are likely to be pretty inconsistent on fluctuating volume. Yeah, I mean, Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard were out there a ton, uh, 72 snaps for each compared to uh, 66 for A.J. Brown. So they were out there. They were running routes. That's probably uh, more notable for Goddard. So it's not like they were having a block. He was out there running routes. So I, I think you're going to have some boom-bust weeks for Smith and, and Goddard for sure. But, yeah, Brown looked awesome today. So um, as far as that backfield, you know, we had Miles Sanders, 38 snaps, Kenneth Gainwell, 23, Boston Scott, 14. And, hey, they all scored touchdowns. So we're all happy here, right, Ryan? Yeah, they all scored touchdowns and all of them were from inside of the 10 yard line. So they're not only they're splitting red zone work, essentially. So it kind of what we saw a little bit last year um, where Kenny Gainwell or Boston Scott would just inexplicably be in the game in the red zone. Hey, but hey, at least Miles Sanders got his piece this this week because he did not at all last year. So, it, yeah. yeah, I don't I don't think that anyone's running away with this backfield, um, but right. I. I think you could get some value out of the, out of Gainwell and Scott, maybe if you drafted them late in best ball or something. 39 rushes for 216 yards from the Eagles. Uh, of course, 17 for 90 and a touchdown from Hertz. So they are still running the ball, but you can really see how this works with AJ Brown, where sure, it's still a lower volume passing game, but when someone is just uh, a freak at wide receiver like Brown, it really makes those a lot more efficient, a lot like he was in Tennessee. So I, I think we're looking at something similar. We really just need Brown to stay healthy. That was his problem in Tennessee is just being dinged up a lot and in and out of games. So um, yeah, I, I love this offense. I think they're going to put up a lot of points this year, but playing the Lions certainly helped. So Lions side of the ball, I 
think we should all be pretty, pretty freaking encouraged by DeAndre Swift here. Like I know there's some things to complain about, but uh, Swift had an awesome week one. Yeah, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I was told all off season that DeAndre Swift was not an efficient rusher on the ground, but yep. then he just put up 15 rushing attempts and only three targets, but 175 all-purpose yards. Uh, broke a couple amazing chunk plays, like a 50-yarder, a 25-yarder to get his team into the red zone, and then was promptly checked. <laughs> Jamal Williams promptly <laughs> checked in for him after each of those big plays. So that's extremely frustrating, obviously. Um, but it's, yeah, you got to take what you can get with Swift. He he was out there. He was getting the majority of the work. It is very clear to everybody except Dan Campbell, apparently, that DeAndre Swift is an electric player that should just be on the field for 80% of the snaps, probably. But that what are you going to do? Maybe it will change throughout the year or maybe it won't. I, I, it's hard to say what the red zone usage is obvious is ultimately going to break down to. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it is a concern when Jamal Williams is vulturing two touchdowns. Yeah. Swift 47 snaps, Jamal Williams, 23, but Williams had 11 carries on those 23 snaps. So when he was in the game, they gave him the ball. So I don't know. I, I think that's still the ratio we want for Swift. We're fine with that 47-23 split in general. There aren't many backs that top that. So I'm encouraged. I'm not going to worry about Jamal stealing a, a few looks. And uh, otherwise, they did a pretty good job of getting their players they should be getting the ball to targets. You know what I mean? Amon Ross St. Brown, 12. DJ Chark, 8. Hawkinson, 7. Swift had 3 and, and 15 carries. So I, it looks like this Lions offense is operating how we thought it would. And I, I think that's a good thing for everyone who drafted these Lions players. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I I was a little surprised by how involved DJ Chark was, but I I mean, even with that, it's not like the other weapons on the offense uh, weren't weren't getting the volume that they needed. So yeah, I'm pretty happy with how we projected the Lions this year. Yep. And Jared Goff, uh, 215 yards passing on 37 attempts. So I don't think uh, anything changed there. (laughs) All right. Um, Another notable performance, uh, Khalil Herbert. We kind of, we were kind of on this all off season and it's easy to, get shaken off of some of these takes over the long off season, but uh, he's a part of this offense in, in uh, sorry, in Chicago. So what do you think about Herbert? Yeah, it looks like this is some, at least some sort of committee with David Montgomery. Uh, the rushing attempts broke down 17 for Montgomery and nine for Herbert. And on those carries, Herbert outperformed Montgomery, 45 rushing yards for Herbert and only 26 for Montgomery. It had a pretty inefficient day. Um, I think that this could shift over the year. If this could get a lot closer to 50, 50, it could maybe Herbert even takes over the lion's share. Uh, I, I just think he's better. And, and something to note is the bears were running a lot. This game, it was a really ugly weather. Uh, You could see any time that a player would get tackled to the ground. Just all of the water from the field that was completely flooded would just splash up. So probably not typical conditions, um, but and maybe the Bears aren't always this run heavy, but I, I think it's pretty likely they are. So, we, yeah, I don't know how much fantasy utility we're going to get out of Herbert um, in managed leagues, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah, 38 snaps for Montgomery, 17 for Herbert. So it's not like Herbert's taking this thing over, but that's more than we were seeing last year. So uh, this coaching staff may just not want to bell cow like the old coaching staff did, and we're going to see Herbert mix in all year. So he's worth a spot on a lot of rosters if you have a weak bench, uh, because worst case, he's a handcuff. Best case, maybe you're getting a little bit of 
flex value down the line this year. We'll see. Um, but Herbert uh, does look like a talented player. Other side of the ball in that game, we'll save uh, the, the San Francisco running game for our waiver wire podcast because uh, we did see Elijah Mitchell leave with an injury and uh, this backfield is just wide open now. So check out the, the waiver wire podcast Monday night, Tuesday morning for some more thoughts on that. Uh, let's get to the Packers. Um, Aaron Jones, uh, outtouched by AJ Dillon. What do you think about this? Yeah, that's extremely concerning. Um, the, <laughs> we saw obviously last year uh, AJ Dillon becoming a bigger part of the offense as the year went on, um, including in the passing game. And that's what we saw in week one this year uh, 10 attempts and seven targets for AJ Dillon uh, versus five rushing attempts and five targets for Aaron Jones. Uh, yes, AJ Dillon scored the touchdown. Like they're, they're, it, the fantasy performances might not be this far apart every single week, but if you spent a top two round pick on Aaron Jones, I would be very concerned right now. Uh, it's not like AJ Dillon is some scrub. The Packers spent a second round pick on him. They clearly want him to be heavily involved. I, I don't think that this is just gonna, this problem's just gonna go away for Aaron Jones. I would not be treating him as an RB one going forward whatsoever. Yeah. I'll take my first uh, victory lap of the season saying to start AJ Dillon over cam acres this week. I really enjoyed that prediction. So I'm glad that I threw that out on the sit start podcast and with my rankings, but uh, 30 snaps, 37 snaps for Aaron Jones and 31 snaps for AJ Dillon. Uh, shout out to Nathan Janke from uh, PFF. He, he does the awesome uh, snap share breakdowns. He just gets them out rapid fire on Sunday nights. So much appreciated there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's basically a split backfield and we saw AJ Dillon get just as much passing work as Aaron Jones. So uh, it looks like he got a good, good value here on AJ Dillon. Um, let's get to the running backs in. Well, yeah, before we get on there, um, the Packers, do we want any of these receivers, Ryan? Uh, not as long as Alan Lazard's out. No, uh, yeah. nobody saw over five targets. Uh, Romeo Dobbs, I believe led the team. Uh, this offense just didn't look good. That's all there is to say. And yeah, the Packers offense didn't look good last year. Um, or, or in week one, I mean, it didn't look good and obviously got much better, but I, yeah, I think the answer to the Packers receivers is probably none of them, or maybe Alan Lazard. I mean, we'll see when he gets on the field, if anything changes, but I, yeah, I don't think that this was like the lottery ticket sweepstakes that some people were making it out to be this off season. Yeah. For a little bit of optimism, I will say Christian Watson, shockingly 40 snaps, just as many as Sammy Watkins. Uh, he, I believe got loose on a deep pass that would have been a long touchdown and dropped it. So, I mean, that's obviously not great that he dropped it, but he at least got some separation. So I don't think you're picking up Watson yet, but uh, that is encouraging that they played him so much. And and even Romeo Dobbs, I mean, he was, I led the team in targets, reception and yards. So yeah, I, I think if you're going to chase someone in this wide receiving core, I would just say, actually go for the upside and go, go with these rookies. But I think we can probably hold off another week before we use a roster spot on these guys. So uh, if someone else wants to take a stand this week, let them, because we didn't see a whole lot here. Uh, okay, um, Arizona running backs. What'd you see here? Anything that stands out behind James Conner? Yeah, I, so one of my biggest personal questions going into this week is who is the RB2 in Arizona? Uh, because that was a valuable role for most of last season when Edmonds and Conner were both there. 
Uh, Connor got a little bit more of the bell cow treatment than we were probably used to him getting last year. But it seems like Eno Benjamin is the clear RB2. Uh, Daryl Williams did not receive any touches. Uh, Benjamin had four attempts and four targets. So it seems like Eno is the Connor handcuff to have. And I'm fairly happy with the rosters that I stashed him on the back of in like deep benches. So I, I would say it obviously extremely premature victory lap. Like we, we have no idea if Benjamin is ever going to produce this year, but see, seems like that is the correct read on the Cardinals backfield. Yeah. I don't know if Daryl Williams got a snap. Uh, I'm just seeing 47 for Connor and 22 for Benjamin. So that's one I got wrong. I kind of thought that they were saving Daryl a little bit uh, in the preseason to be the backup. So I still think if Connor went down, you're going to see plenty of Daryl Williams, but certainly encouraging here for, you know, Benjamin. Um, let's get to Pittsburgh. So Fryermuth got 12 targets. Is that enough for you to change your thoughts on him as just a touchdown or bust option? It's tough because we did, probably didn't really like what we saw from this offense most of the time. I mean, most of their production was just kind of off of really ugly Bengals turnovers early yeah. in the game. Uh, but 12 targets is meaningful. Like that, he was second on the team uh, behind Deontay Johnson. Like that, he out target when you're out targeting George Pickens, the big probably one of the most hyped rookies of the offseason, as well as Chase Claypool. Like that, that's worth noting. I, I don't know that it makes Friar Muth like a clear top half tight end or anything like that. But he he has to be in the tight end one conversation every week, I think, where I thought there was a decent chance that he might just get completely squeezed out of this target packing order. Yeah, I'll, I'll say the Steelers offense, like I said, I mean, it was just all scheme stuff and misdirection and trick plays. Uh, they had a ton of short fields to work with here. They should have blown the Bengals out in this game if their offense was competent. I mean, 38 attempts for Trubisky for 194 yards is not good. Uh, I, just as far as the skill players, like Fryermuth looked fine. You know, he had a big play. I think it was on like a uh, flea flicker type play. So that was a big chunk of his yardage. Deontay Johnson made some awesome catches. He's still a really good player. If he gets 12 targets every week, he's still going to be fine. And then I know I'm one of the few Chase Claypool truthers out there still, but um, he his stat line of four catches on six targets, 18 yards, certainly does not look impressive. But he had some really difficult catches. He had uh, one in the red zone, so they were going his way that way. And he also had six carries for 36 yards on these gadget plays. So Claypool is still involved here. So uh, he, he got the ball more than George Pickens did. Uh, Pickens did draw defensive pass interference in the end zone, but it was kind of a cheap call. Maybe that's just the Bengals fan in me. But I don't know. I think there's still a little bit here in Pittsburgh, but uh, they could not run the ball at all. So if, if Najee Harris is hurt, I think it's going to be a lot of passing. So that's what I would be targeting in this offense. Um, let's get to Baltimore. Uh, maybe this this is like our maybe Sammy Watkins player of the year, like the week one guy who just randomly has a big week. Uh, Devin DuVernay. Uh He's up there in the weekly rankings for receiver uh, overall scoring. So I believe he was number nine, maybe on the week wide receiver nine. So what are your thoughts on Devin Duvernay here? Yeah, I mean, kind of, as you said, like the, this is fairly transparently just the player that happened to score a couple touchdowns in week one. Um, it's not as if his role was particularly bigger than we expected. Uh, both Rashad Bateman and Mark Andrews had more targets than Duvernay did. Uh, his stat line was four catches, four targets for 54 yards and two touchdowns. I don't think you need to run out and get Devin Duvernay. It, 
doesn't seem like this is going to be a particularly high volume passing offense. Um, I know the Ravens were throwing more last year, but they really felt felt like they were slowing the game down against the Jets. Obviously, wasn't all that competitive for most of it. So, but that could be a game script that the Ravens have fairly often this year. So, I yeah, I would not say that Duvernay is a waiver wire target whatsoever. Yeah, if you want some encouragement, uh, Rashad Bateman thirty seven snaps, Duvernay twenty nine, Demarcus Robinson twenty five. I had no idea he was there. Uh, then Tylen Wallace six, James Prochet five. So. He's the second most used receiver, but again, four targets. You're not going to get two touchdowns very often with that. And you still got Mark Andrews leading the way. So yeah, they're going to use tight end so much. They're going to use Lamar's legs. I'm not real excited, but Hey, Kenyon Drake, 33 snaps to justice Hills, 11 and Mike Davis is seven. So at least we can just uh, kind of move on from the Mike Davis era, right? Yes. Thank God <laughs> that we don't have to talk about Mike Davis again on this podcast. All right. Um, Speaking of early season victory laps, uh, rest in peace, uh, Damian Pierce, right? I would say so. Yeah. (laughs) I looking at looking at how these touches were distributed in the Texans backfield. uh, I would be very concerned if you were one of the people that was drafting Damian Pierce in the first six rounds. Uh, So it broke down as 11 rush attempts for Pierce, uh, just one target and 39 total yards. Rex Burkhead had 14 rushing attempts and eight targets. And it's also important to note that the Texans were leading most of the game. Like this should have been Pierce's ideal game script. You would have expected that if the Texans get out to a lead, that he would be the one pounding the ball on early downs, but it was not him. It was Burkhead. So yes, he's a rookie. His role could grow as the year goes on. uh, But this is not like Damian Pierce walking into all this volume in this backfield as some were trying to present it this off season. Yeah. And I mean, I joke, like if you got Pierce late, like it, this is, it's still a good draft pick. He could improve for sure. Uh, there are some encouraging things. Like they only played two running backs. It was Burkhead with 48 snaps, Damian Pierce with 20. Uh, but I mean, Pierce only ran five routes. So like, there are some encouraging things. They, they tied the Colts at home, you know, like Mills seems to be a competent quarterback. So I, I don't mean to put all doom and gloom here on Pierce, but like you said, if you drafted him early, I just, um, I, I never understood that. And, uh, but if they can, if they keep it to two running backs here, I do think he could overtake Burkhead. So I was a little worried we'd see like four running backs being used by the Texans. So I don't know, hold out some hope, but, um, I, I still, I would never would have signed off on the early round pick for, uh, for Damian Pierce. So, okay, let's get to the 49ers real quickly. Um, rough day for Trey Lance, but I mean, I don't know about you, man, but that weather was just so bad in Chicago. I kind of, I know I'm a Trey Lance truther here, but I'm kind of willing to throw this one out. Yeah, I agree completely. I, I don't think we can take a whole lot from this. I, I would say the one thing we can take from it is 13 rushing attempts. And yeah. if that is something that continues throughout the year, then Trey Lance is going to score fantasy points. Um, so yes, they, obviously not an ideal game, not 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 an ideal environment. Um, but the other thing on the 49ers that kind of jumped out to me was even with George Kittle out, Brandon Ayuk had just two targets. Um, even though I believe he led the team in routes run, so yeah. it's a little concerning to me that Ayuk what didn't just show off this connection with Trey Lance that we were kind of speculating on for, for a lot of this offseason. 
Yeah, he did hit a big crosser for 31 yards where he was wide open. I, I think we'll see some more of that and some good weather. Two catches for 40 yards on two targets. He was out there. He led the team in snaps. So he was out there for all but one snap, it looks like. So, yeah, I, I mean, you know, Debo was used as a running back. He had eight carries for 52 yards and a touchdown. Um, he also fumbled and lost one on a drive where they were moving the ball. So I do think that's still encouraging for Ayuk is if they're going to use Debo a lot as a running back, he's still their leading option as a receiver. So I'd be willing to give this team a pass and, and see some better weather. I, It seems like it came back to bite Shanahan once again, the way he deals with this running back platoon because Elijah Mitchell gets hurt early and they've got nobody left other than uh, Jeff Wilson Jr. to run the ball. Like they could have kept, you know, Tyrion Davis price active, or I guess they did have the undrafted rookie, but it's like, he just messes with these running backs so much. And, and Mitchell's been injury prone that as soon as he goes out, it's like, man, they just have Debo to run the ball. So I don't know. I still don't agree with the way Shanahan runs this team, but I do trust the play calling to get people open. Yeah, fair enough. And I, I mean, it, this is probably going to be the most speculated on backfield. I know we don't want to get into waiver wire stuff, um, but I, I would be, wary of anybody this week that tries to tell you they know which running back it's going to be i i think that probably all of them would be worth considering yeah i i think that's i would go for the upside in this backfield that's all i would say is uh go for the the possible home run swing so okay let's get on from that game we've gone into that one quite a bit here um do you worry about darnell mooney i guess before we leave that one like he didn't get a ton of work in this one yeah, I mean, the the thing is that Fields only had 17 pass attempts. Like, it, it's hard yeah. to super hold like, anything against Mooney. Um, Fields, unlike Lance, was able to connect on a few deep shots uh, to Equinemius St. Brown, um, as well as Dante Pettis. Um, so we, we saw Fields' arm. We know that he can throw deep. It's going to be Mooney catching those. It, least a decent amount this year so yeah i wouldn't be super concerned okay new york jets backfield so i are we encouraged i mean we had seven catches from michael carter and six catches for Brees hall like that's nine targets and ten targets this is what we want right so what i think what's (laughs) important to note is that joe flacco had 59 pass attempts in this game and that that i assume is by far a career high for him uh, yeah, I mean, we kind of expected, uh, the running backs to get fed on these checkdowns by Joe Flacco. I didn't think it would be quite this insane. Um, but yeah, I think we should be encouraged. Uh, obviously Michael Carter had a pretty good fantasy performance, um, this week, but I think we should be encouraged for Hall if they're willing to give him 10 targets, uh, which was more than any wide receiver on the team. I believe you led the team in targets like that. That's pretty good i mean the big question with hall was how involved will he be in the passing game um and i mean if the early down workload eventually starts to shift like we kind of expect then hall could be really productive down the stretch this year yep and we got a nice value on carter and leagues that you got him in Uh, 50 snaps for carter 38 for Brees hall so uh, both ran about the same amount of routes same amount of targets Uh, carter got some more carries he got more of the short yardage work too so I don't know. There's some value there in both of them. I wouldn't panic if you had Brees Hall. You should probably be thankful that you got some PPR production out of him if you did have to start him. So, um, okay, let's move on from that one. Uh, what do you think about the New York Giants uh, in their game against the Titans? 
Yeah, so I was kind of glued to this game. I found myself really rooting for the Giants, which is not something I it's not something I feel very much as a Pats <laughs> fan. Uh, but it it was it was fun to watch them kind of shock the Titans. Um, the Saquon Barkley looked incredible, kind of as expected, but I, I guess some people that did not expect it. But obviously, incredible fantasy performance from him. He scored the two point conversion that won them the game. Broke off a couple really nice big runs. Looked looked explosive. Looked like Saquon Barkley. So if you got him in round two, I think you're pretty happy. Uh, and then I think the big storyline aside from him is Kadarius Tony did not start the game and played very few snaps. So I this was kind of called out uh, before the weekend uh, by the Establish the Run guys that it seemed like the team had some sort of issue with Kadarius Tony that they weren't going to be starting him. They were going to manage his reps. Didn't seem like it was injury-related. Um, so I, it's anybody's guess, but it it's... <laughs> It's just really, really confusing and pr- pretty annoying if you drafted Kadarius Tony. Yeah, there's a few takeaways on this Giants team. First of all, uh, Ryan is doing somersaults with the RB1 performance from Saquon Barkley, 33 PPR points across his uh, his best ball teams, I'm sure. Um, but also, you look at the snap counts here. So, Wandale Robinson left with a knee injury. We're not sure how bad it is. Uh, he only played set nine snaps. Kadarius Tony only played seven snaps. Here's who played the snaps for the Giants at wide receiver. Kenny Galladay, 46, targeted twice. Sterling Shepard, 43, targeted twice. Richie James Jr., 42, targeted six times. And David Sills, 27 snaps, targeted zero times. So that is the receiving core for the Giants. Yeah, and they, I just do the quick math on those targets per route run. No, I <laughs> Yes, uh, Shepard and Galladay were running the routes, but it's not as if they were earning the targets. It's not It's not like yeah. these guys were playing all that well. Like, yeah, Shepard did get loose deep I, at least once, I believe. But it, I I just can't understand why Kadarius Toney is not being featured. I, he yeah. When he got the ball in his hands a few times, he looked very electric. Like, he caught one behind the line of scrimmage that should have been a broken play that he turned into a positive gain. He juked, like, three defenders. Like, he, Kadarius Toney is good. It, it's yeah. just so frustrating that I, I i mean i have to assume that brian dayball knows that Kadarius tony is good too but it's yeah. It, yeah you just wonder what's going on in that locker room yeah that's what i was gonna say it's got to be something with the locker room but overall the big takeaway i, I think really you could knock saquon's day because he had a 68 yard rush uh, 164 yards you know it's under 100 but we needed to see the big playability back from saquon so just seeing that is a, a huge check mark for me so he is an RB1 every week going forward until we see otherwise. So, all right, let's get to the Chargers. Um, man, I think we both kind of had a bad feeling about these Chargers receivers this offseason, but we love Herbert, so we couldn't really fade them fully. And it, it's a little troubling already, even though the Chargers look pretty good. Yeah, I mean, th- this is kind of exactly what I imagined in like my – perfectly planned out scenario for the chargers was that the targets were just going to kind of be completely spread around. Like there were a lot of red flags with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen in the preseason, in my opinion. Uh, And it, what we saw was basically everybody on the chargers got exactly four targets and that included guys like Deandre Carter. So it's, I don't know for Mike Williams to only get four targets in a game where Keenan Allen left very early with a hamstring injury, I, that's 
yeah, I would not be feeling great right now if I took Williams fairly early. I, I guess he wasn't going that early in managed leagues. He was like a fourth, fifth round ADP. If, if you were taking him in like the third in best falls, then I, I'd be a little bit scared. But I, I would think that Williams would emerge in a post Keenan Allen Chargers receiving core. Um, but it, yeah, it's it, it makes you wonder. Yeah, and this offense still didn't quite lift off the way we had wanted to against the Raiders. I, I still don't think that defense is real great. But I mean, Mike Williams, sixty-two snaps, just four targets. Palmer, Josh Palmer, fifty-one snaps, three targets, um, and then it's a big drop off below them. Keenan Allen was only in for twenty-two and saw four targets. So it seemed to be his, his you know, his ball when he was in there. He just got hurt. So we'll see how long he is out with the hamstring injury. I still think we're sprinting to the waiver wire to pick up Josh Palmer if he's available, but I, I, there's still some questions to be answered in this receiving core for the Chargers. But uh, our guy, Gerald Everett, three for 54 and a touchdown on four targets. That's all we wanted, Ryan. That, that, was, the, that was the game plan right there for Gerald Everett. I, I think the Gerald Everett touchdown was the most excited that I got this entire day. I did, I did stand up and jump off my couch when it happened. So uh, it's a, yes, that we, we hit on that one. We are pathetic. All right. Uh, let's get to the chiefs backfield. what do you think about the whole group and um, maybe specifically uh, Pacheco? Yeah. So chiefs backfield was early on in the game. It was Clyde Edwards lair getting most of the work. Uh, he did get both of the receiving touchdowns. So his fantasy box score looked the best, uh, but Pacheco did get involved later on. Um, now it was mostly from what I saw when the game was out of control, the chiefs uh, put the Cardinals away pretty quickly. Like it, it was yeah. not a competitive game for the majority of it. Uh, but Pacheco came in and ended up leading the Chiefs backfield in carries and in rushing yards. So I, he's there. Like th this backfield yeah. touch distribution could shift. I wouldn't expect Pacheco to come out and start next week or anything. But if Ceh starts doing things that get Andy Reid upset with him, like it, it's a pretty easy walk to see how Pacheco becomes very involved in this offense as the year goes on. Yeah, I mean, like you said, garbage time played a role in this, but uh, CEH 27 snaps, McKinnon played 27, and Pacheco played 16. So I think it was encouraging that CEH was involved in the red zone. So I think you probably got a nice value on him, um, but we'll see how it shakes out. Um, the Cardinals, man, if if they're going to be without DeAndre Hopkins, Rondale Moore, Zach Ertz banged up, uh, it's going to be ugly. I mean, they're throwing, other than Hollywood Brown, they're throwing to Greg Dortch, AJ Green, Andy Isabella. It's just not good. So. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of worried about them. I know you don't have any specific takeaways on this team, but uh, it, it does not look good in Arizona. Yeah, I I will say I was pretty disappointed in Hollywood Brown. I thought that yeah. this would kind of be his chance to come out and just dominate the targets and put up an insane box score. Um, he I when I was playing DFS this week, I had a ton of him despite him being very chalky and he held me back a lot. So, I yeah, I would be curious to see what this offense looks like uh like when deandre hopkins comes back obviously we're ways out from that uh but i i don't know that it's going to be hopkins comes back and just starts dominating targets but maybe it helps the offense be a little more functional because that that's yeah. all we can really ask for right now at this point i think yep and at least brown got you a touchdown so four for 43 and a touchdown could have been worse so all right. Um, our last takeaway, I just want to do this one without comment. I just thought it was worth throwing out there. Here were the quarterbacks with 10 or more carries in the week. 
Jalen Hurts, 17 carries. Trey Lance, 13 carries. Marcus Mariota, 12 carries. Justin Fields, 11 carries. And Josh Allen, 10. So, again, maybe we need to look at Mariota as a streamer here. So, all right, let's get on to the Monday Night Football preview. We're going to do this every week. I think we're going to just, like I said, just try to keep it to some of the flex decisions you might have. Like maybe you're down you're down big going into Monday night and you need a desperation play. Um, we'll, we'll kind of look at floor and ceiling and kind of look at Ryan's range of outcomes tool and, and try to help you out with that. So uh, what's kind of just your first thoughts here on this uh, Monday night game between Seattle and Denver? Yeah, so I, I think overall what you're how you're going to approach this game starts with what you think the game script is going to look like. Do you think the Broncos are going to get up very quickly? Uh, do you think Seattle is going to keep it competitive? This has a lot of uh, that that's basically going to determine uh, how you feel about some of these different options. So yeah. I think showing that um, the two players that I threw into the range of outcomes tool uh, just to see was Rashad Penny versus Melvin Gordon. Um, Those are two running backs that I I feel like people could realistically have both of on their team. Um, So when when you're looking at these curves, uh, Melvin Gordon's consensus projection right now is nine fantasy points and Rashad Penny's is 13.5. But the difference in sort of the floor and ceiling of these players is pretty stark. Uh, Melvin Gordon has a fairly narrow looking range of outcomes uh, and Penny has one of the widest of any running back based on how up and down or well, really very down and then very up his performances were last year. So it, I think there's a lot of upside with Rashad Penny. Uh, the tool says that if you need more than 6.9 fantasy points, uh, you should go with Penny. Uh, but if you maybe need an even a very low floor, low safe floor, uh, Melvin Gordon might be who you want. Um, I I just think that it really comes down to, as I said, the game script here. It, like, is Rashad Penny going to get game scripted out? Um, is Melvin Gordon going to get alpha by Javante Williams? It, there's a lot of different directions that this could go. Yeah. Uh, and I suppose another look could be at the receivers in this game. Like, do you have any strong takes when it comes to DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett? Or I mean, I think Jerry Judy and, and Cortland Sutton are a clear tier ahead of the Seattle receivers, probably, right? Like, I, I really like the upside for DK Metcalf, but I would kind of like to see a week here with Chino Smith under center where it's like, okay, this is at least a functional offense. Yeah, I think that's obviously a concern. I, I would say that both Seattle receivers, not not according to the tool, but in general, have much wider ranges of outcomes because we we really don't know if this offense is going to be functional. My thought is that it won't be, but it it could be. And these are two very talented receivers. Um, but almost in the reverse way with the game script concerns, I'm a little worried that if the Broncos get out to an early lead, that the passing game is just kind of deprioritized and Javante and Melvin Gordon are getting 15 to 18 carries a piece and that that's just kind of what the Broncos offense looks like. So I think there is downside here for Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy as well. Um, it just it really is based on how well you think Seattle can keep this game close. Yeah. And when I was looking them over for like survivor league picks, uh, this game was interesting because I would definitely want to take the Broncos against Seattle as a survivor league pick, but this is in Seattle. This kind of feels like their Super Bowl. You know what I mean? At least like at least as of now, man. Russ is coming back in. 
Uh, I know that those narratives can be a little overblown, but they are going to be ready for this game. The crowd's going to be fired up. I don't know. I could see Seattle hanging around a little bit, but it's also kind of one of those things when when Denver's up 31 to 3 in the fourth quarter, you're like, yeah, we'll we'll die. They're, they have Russell Wilson. So I don't know. I was a little torn on this one. I would expect some big plays on both sides of the ball. I, I just it's hard for me to completely fade DK Metcalf. I, I think I just have a blind spot on him. I just I think he's gonna catch a, a 50 yard touchdown every week, basically. <laughs> yeah, it I would agree. Like if you're deciding between like DK Metcalf and a total punt option. Um, who yeah. would an example on the Broncos be? Um, I don't, like I don't Hamler, know. Maybe it's Hamler even yeah. helping now. <laughs> yeah. It just, it, I would not be like so worried about DK Metcalf that you're yeah. making any crazy decisions. Yeah. Cause there, there is upside here and he, we at least assume that he's going to have some sort of target floor. Just the quality of those targets is what's in question. Probably the same for Lockett too. We've really kind of written him off, but he's still a really good player and, yeah, I, w- I would play him over some of the punt options or some, you know, crazy free agent pickup. So, um, okay. Any other thoughts on the Monday night preview or is that, that wrap it up for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'll just say that I am extremely curious to see if Albert O is involved in this offense. He's had a very up and down preseason. Uh, mm-hmm. We've seen some tight ends this week that just straight up have not been involved in their offenses that people were drafting, uh, like Irv Smith and Cole Komet. Uh, I think both of which we did a pretty good job fading this off season. So I, yeah, jury's out on Alberto. We'll see, we'll see which category he falls into. Okay. So we're playing Alberto over uh Fant though, right? If those are your options, we're going Alberto. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You yeah. have, you just because of implied total, you have to like, I, yeah. And I, I don't think we can expect Fant's role to be any more locked in than Alberto's is either. It's, it's not as if I would put it past the Seahawks to, try to turn Fant into a blocker or something. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, that was fun. That's our first uh, What We Saw podcast of the year. Um, if there's any stuff that you all want to hear in this thing, feel free to hit us up on Twitter. Uh, message us in the Discord if you're part of the community. Uh, we just want to do what's most useful you all on probably a, a Monday morning. So hopefully this got through some of the big stuff. Uh, please make sure to check out AJ and Callan on our Waiver Wire podcast. They will really go deep into the Elijah Mitchell fallout. We'll probably have some more news on some injury statuses, and they can give you some some recommendations. But as always, we will be back on Thursday uh, morning for our uh, Sit Start podcast. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think we did a pretty good job first week. We made some pretty good recommendations. We're not going to buy a 1,000. But like I said, I, I, I called for A.J. Dillon over Cam Akers, so I can live off that one for a couple of weeks. So. Uh, thanks for joining me, Ryan. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we will talk to you soon.